1 Timothy in chapter number 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, continue working our way through this book in 1 Timothy, and um, our outline, it's been a couple weeks, but our outline, chapters 1 through 3, how to build an effective church, and uh, we saw in chapter number 1, the church and its doctrine, and then we see in chapter 2, the church and its devotion, in chapter 3, the church and its uh, duties, and uh, in first 13 verses, which is kind of where we're at, but uh, we see the church's duties discussed, and we started in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, looking at the spiritual leadership and that of the pastor and the qualifications that are required, and, uh, and then that leaves us where we're at in verse number 8, and in our outline... We saw the spiritual leadership with the pastor, and now the secular leadership, which is the deacon. Um, starting in verse number 8, and let's read to the end of the chapter. Verse number 8, it says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, and God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and privilege of being in your house tonight, and thank you for the good day already. Thank you for faithfulness of your people. Thank you, God, for the one that was saved today. Uh, thank you, God, for the visitors today. Thank you, Father, for just a good spirit and the unity in our church. And, and Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you just uh, keep a hedge about that and please protect it. And, Lord, we just love you and just bless the, the preaching of your word now. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we looked at the pastor, and now we want to look at the deacon. And you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter number 6, we're introduced to what we believe is the selection of the first deacons there in Acts chapter number 6. And it was uh, the job description, if you will, was that uh, they were to wait on tables uh, again, to be a help to the pastor to deal with uh, the fact that some of the widows in, uh, in I guess, in our modern world today, uh, we might would say are shut-ins and uh, those that were in need, uh, some of them were feeling neglected. And so the deacons were selected to help. And they, these were not just, uh, you know, anybody. Uh, they had to be chosen. They uh, were men of a great testimony, spiritual men. Uh, men uh, that uh, were leaders in the church who would help in this and, uh, and to be a help to the pastor and to the church. Uh, the church ministry requires uh, a lot of, uh, I, this is not a good word to use, I guess, but uh, mundane task, a lot of things that just have to be done. Um, you know, that no one's really going to get up and, you know, uh, applaud and you know be first in line saying hey if that position ever comes over uh, open I would love to clean the toilets right I mean you know there's a lot of things like that that you know you know we don't fight over uh, we don't you know but but there are they're very important 
extremely important. You know, we had a group of men that did a rotation that mowed the grass this year, right? Thank you for doing that, right? Uh, and it may seem like not an important, not important thing. Well, yeah, until you come to church and the grass is growing everywhere and everybody's like, what's going on at this place, right? And, uh, and so these things are important, all right? And, uh, and uh, our shut-ins, our visits, our running errands, and, and uh, there's all kinds of things. And uh, the ministry, uh, the size that our church has, it's extremely busy. And uh, the busyness of the church uh, requires a lot of these kind of things need to be done. That's why I'm asking the church to be praying about deacons. We do not currently have a deacon. And uh, it would be a blessing to have a couple of deacons at this point in our life, in our ministry as a church. Uh, so what about these deacons? Um, you know, what, what do we need to consider? Paul goes over it here in verse number 8. Let's look at these real quick. In verse number 8, we see that the deacon needs to be a, a faultless man. All right, now just like the pastor, you notice it says likewise. Likewise to what? Likewise to the pastor's qualifications, right? Uh, and when I say faultless, it's the same kind of faultless as uh, the pastor, all right? He, the Bible says in verse number two of that same chapter, a bishop then must be blameless, all right? And so again, in verse number eight, likewise must the deacons, all right? So these deacons, they need to be, uh, you know, I say faultless, but that doesn't mean without imperfections, all right? It just means this, that it, they, their life is not known for sin. They're not involved in certain sins. They're, they're, they don't have a testimony of sin. Uh, they, and when they do make mistakes, they will get it right, all right? Uh, these are men with great integrity, great character, all right? And what does the Bible say about these men being in this faultless region, if you will? In verse number eight, first thing we see there uh, is his temperament. It says, likewise, must the deacons be grave. That word grave means honorable, all right? It means, uh, you know, they, they take this ministry serious. It's not a joke. Uh, I, I, you know me. I love having fun. I love, uh, you know, making jokes. I love, you know, you know, finding humor. Uh, it, it made me laugh when Brother Wilder was sitting over here tonight, and I made sure I pointed that out, right? And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy that, all right? But the, the reality is this, all right? This is a serious thing, what we're dealing with, all right? And a, a, a man that's to be serving in the office of a deacon needs to have a graveness about him, all right? Uh, needs to understand that the uh, uh, service of the Lord is not a joke, uh, that, and they're known to have a serious mind, to be able to take things seriously. Uh, if they're just a jokester and a clown, and that's all they are, they have no business being a deacon or a pastor, right? Uh, they need to understand the seriousness by which... Uh, they are involved in, all right? So you see their temperament is to be grave. And then you see their tongue also mentioned, not double tongue. That word double tongue there means just what it says, all right? Saying one thing here, but another somewhere else. They're not a gossiper. Uh, we might say it this word. They don't talk out of both sides of their mouth. They were a man of integrity. They know how to control their tongue. Now the tongue, the book of James says, is a, a powerful member the tongue can destroy. It's like a fire, all right? A tongue can destroy. A tongue can edify or it can destroy and tear down. A tongue can be full of bitterness and poison or a tongue can be full of life uh, and refreshing. And, uh, and a deacon's tongue needs to be one that is used correctly. They have to have control of their tongue, uh, not be a gossip, not say one thing when they're here at church and talk entirely different at work. Right? They need to have a consistent life with their words. Faultless also in their temptation. In verse number eight again, not double tongue, not given too much wine. Now, a lot of people get all bent out of shape about that phrase, much wine. But I, if I, I always describe it as this way, all right? Likewise, 
key verse in verse number eight, all right? Uh, and as with much wine, what's that referring to? As much wine as the pastor is, shows the deacon should be at. Well, how much should the pastor have? None. So how much should the deacon have? None, all right? Uh, you don't want a drunken deacon, all right? You don't want, if a deacon has alcohol in his home and a deacon's known for drinking here and there, all right, they are not qualified to be a deacon. Right? They live a life above reproach because everything in their life should bring people close to the Lord. Right? Uh, should be pointing to the example of Christ. In the temptation of wine, but also in the temptation of wealth. It says they're not greedy of filthy lucre. A, a deacon uh, is going to be helping a lot of needy people. That's one of the roles of a deacon. Go visit the widows. and uh, They'll be running a lot of the errands, a lot of the tasks. They'll be, uh, deacon will be uh, helping out in a lot of you know, uh, whatever means are needed, but uh, they cannot be greedy of filthy lucre. They cannot fall in love with money. They'll be handling money. They'll be discussing money. They'll, uh, there's, uh, you know, they, they help in the business decisions, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, uh, now again, I'm going to pause. A deacon is not, you know, some people just, you know, deacons run the church, not in a scriptural church. All right? The Lord is the head of the church. All right? The Lord is the head of the church. The pastor, you should follow their faith, right? Uh, we don't just blindly follow people, right? That's one of the great flaws of fundamentalism is it made men worship and heroes out of people to the point to where nothing could, if they did wrong, they had to cover it up, which is still affecting our churches today. And that's wickedness, that's sin, right? We don't worship man, right? You know, we follow their faith, but if they're not, if it's not in the faith, we don't have to follow that, all right? And uh, especially if it goes against the faith, you don't follow it, all right? Uh, but uh, the Lord's the head of the church, and deacons don't run the church, all right? Uh, they're there to help and be a, a, a blessing, but they can't be guilty of loving money and falling in love with money. Uh, I think in dealing with the widows, uh, I think... Um, a, a, you, you remember whenever the Lord spoke to... Remember the, the, in the Bible, the widow who gave her two mites? Right? Remember that story? And, uh, and right before the widow gives her two mites, Jesus gives another story, and he says, be careful about the scribes and the Pharisees. And you remember the phrase that the Lord used in describing you know, what to be careful about? He said this, who devour widows' houses. Right? Devour widows' houses. I don't know everything that entails with, but it sounds like they took advantage of widows. And they stole from them. And they took from them. And they were using their position of authority for selfish reasons. Now, I may be making this. I don't, I don't know. I can't tell you like this is exactly what happened. But they would take advantage, these ladies, and, you know, helping them out. Uh, I give you just a, a sec, total secular, right? And we all notice this happens in the world that we live in, right? Say someone has to go to a nursing home for 10 years and they don't have the means to pay for that. I don't know if you know this, but they sign their house over. And so when they pass away, the house becomes the property of the nursing home, the state, whatever the case may be. All right? And I kind of get the gist that that kind of things were going on. And we'll help you out, but we get whatever you have. And they take advantage. And woe about these scribes and Pharisees. They're evil for doing that. And the deacon's in the same ministry. So he can't be in love with money and take advantage of people, right? And they're, you know, vulnerable state or whatever the case is, all right? So woe to them. 
I also think, and this is just my Travis Burke personal opinion, because it's given with the pastor and the deacon, I think that the deacon, uh, I'm not saying this is what we have to do, but I think the deacon got some sort of recompense uh, from the church, uh, almost like a paid staff, if you want, right? And they can't do it for the job's sake, right? And I'm not saying that's what needs to be done. I'm just saying because there's such a warning here, the same way as a pastor, right? And all the same things can be applied to a pastor uh, that he should never do. Uh, but I, I do believe that is a possibility as well. But regardless, they can't be in love with money, all right? Money's not evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil, all right? If you want to follow why things go wrong, and you, you, you can follow the money trail, and a lot of times you're going to find it, all right? So you have the faultless man in verse number 8. Then we have in verse number 9 and 10, he's to be a faithful man, a faithful man. He should be possessing the truth in verse number 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Um, possess, he should be a possessor of truth. Uh, first of all, in his convictions, holding the mystery of the faith. Uh, the mystery of the faith, uh, you could probably preach a whole series on this, but things, there's quite a few doctrines and teachings that uh, are described in the New Testament as being the mystery of this or the mystery of that. All right? and, uh, and what it was, simply put, is in the Old Testament, these things were there, but they weren't openly taught. They were kind of, uh, you know, there, but not taught openly like a doctrine, such as the mystery of uh, the rapture, right? The return of Christ, all right? The mystery of the church, all right? There was no church in the Old Testament, all right? Yet, you can see pictures and things, but that is a New Testament doctrine, all right? And there's, there is, if you want, you know, I, I wrote down a few. There's the mystery of the kingdom. There's the mystery of Israel's blindness, the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of the church, uh, the mystery of godliness, which is described, I believe, in the next chapter or this chapter. And, uh, but uh, these things that, uh, you know, would be revealed. And, but the bottom line is this, right? A deacon should be someone who is doctrinally sound, right? His, his convictions are correct. Uh, they, should not be a, they should not be a deacon if they don't agree with the doctrine of the church. If there's disagreement in the doctrines, he has no business being a deacon at that church. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in the same way as a pastor. You know, if, you know, I disagreed with the statement of faith of Kazada Baptist Temple, Kazada Baptist Temple needs to dismiss me as being pastor, right? Because, right, we follow the doctrine, right, and hold to the truth. And so he needs to be a man of conviction. And his conviction is that they are right. He's sound doctrinally. But also it says there in his conscience. It says in a pure conscience. And what that means is this, right? He doesn't just know what's right, but he believes it and he holds to it. A pure conscience means this. Anyone can get up and say, well, yeah, I agree with the doctrine of the church. But if it's not in his heart, he has no business considering being a deacon of the church. Don't just say it to get a position. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. So you can say that, yes, I agree with these things, but, and there's nothing inside of you saying, except for this and this and this, right? No, it needs to be a pure conscience, that you can look at the church and say, I agree with the doctrine of this church, all right? And it needs to be done with a pure conscience, because nothing, hardly anything, can destroy a church quicker than a pastor or a deacon who will be involved in false doctrine. 
and um, really important, vital, that these physicians are men who are doctrinally sound, not just in word, but in faith, in truth, in their heart. I know Disney made it popular that your conscience be your guide. And all of us have a conscience. But you don't need our conscience. It's still made up of us. It is very affected by sin in our flesh. And I, our conscience doesn't need to be our guide, but I'll just say this real quick. Our conscience needs to be obedient to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. And when our conscience is obedient to the Word of God and the Spirit of God, all right, then you can you want to follow your conscience when it's following the Spirit of God and the Word of God. All right? But in pure conscience, a possessor of truth. And then not only does he need to possess her of truth, but in verse number 10, he needs to pass the test. It says, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. First be proved. In other words, you know, someone uh, just joined the church yesterday. They, there should be a time frame before they would ever be considered for a position of a deacon or a pastor, right? Uh, there needs to be time. Their life needs to be watched their manner of life, their words, their doctrine, their faith, their involvement, their character, their integrity. These things should be watched, right? These things should be observed. Uh, they, they sh it should be known by the church that this person has proven themselves, right, to be what they need to be. Uh, I, I like what it says, you know, uh, in that verse, let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon. So they're proved, and someone worded it this way, and I liked it, they're proved, and then they're promoted, Right? They're approved, and then they're given this position. Right? Uh, but they, it needs to be something that they're watched, they're considered, and that takes time. So, because, and that's the way God works. If you remember Moses, before he ever became the leader of Israel, spent 40 years in the wilderness. God was working on him. Uh, David had all kinds of time like that. Uh, he served first in Saul's, well, first he served out in the field, right? Uh, taking care of the of the sheep, and uh, out and uh, and uh, watching the sheep, learning and, and learning what responsibility is. You know, working out there in the countryside, watching the sheep, learning responsibility. Then he went to the camp of King Saul when Goliath was there, and he had to learn, you know, resolve and how to take a stand. And and then he served in the court of King Saul, where he learned what it was to learn to refresh and to help and to be a blessing to people. Uh, then he had to spend time in a cave where he learned what it was to find that God is your refuge. Um, the fact is this, God will put people in places to help them, to prove them. Saul spent time in the backside of a desert. Uh, it was, it, it's a means that God uses. I tried to encourage Brother Sean Edom when they were in India for that time, almost a year. You know, what am I doing here? I said, learning what God wants you to learn. There was no option. That's where he had to be. So let God help. And, uh, and he did. He did a fantastic job with that, all right? But it needs to be, all right, a faithful man. All right, a thoughtless man needs to be a faithful man. And then in verse 11 and 12, a family man. A family man. It says in verse number 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. First of all, the family man, it talks about his wife. Um, uh, a deacon's wife, all right, it talks about her character first. 
right, must be grave. Interesting enough, the first qualification for the deacon is the first one mentioned for his wife. Um, because they're going to be serving together a lot. Especially in the task that they are you know, commissioned to take care of. Uh, if they're going to be visiting the widows and taking care of their needs, they're going to spend a lot of time together doing those things. Right? Uh, they're going to spend a lot of time, and, and she better be grave, knowing all the things that her husband's going to be involved in and doing. She, too, needs to be someone who is serious and honorable. So we consider people for a deacon. Right? Their wives must be looked at. Their wives must be watched and proven also that they are serious-minded about the work of Christ. They're honorable, all right? They, they serve the Lord. Uh, you see her character, then you see her conversation. It says there must be grave, not slanderers, all right? The, the wife of the deacon being considered, all right, she should be controlling of her tongue also. It kind of gives a little bit different, a double-tongued for the man, here for the wife, a slanderer, uh, which means to tear down, to accuse, um, to destroy. Uh, the thought would be to that it should not be known for being a gossip, talking bad about people, and sharing things that have no good, no edification whatsoever, just in destroying and tearing down. So a deacon's wife should be a lady who has control of her tongue. Her character, her conversation, and then her concern uh, says there that she is sober. All right, that means this: that she's under control uh, of herself. All right, uh, her emotions are in check. Her thinking is in check. Her actions are in check. Um, you know, if someone obviously a lot of times we think sober, we think of being drunk. Right, that's the opposite of being sober. And when someone's drunk, they're under that influence. They have no control over their thoughts. They have no control over their actions. They lose control over these, right? Because that alcohol's in charge, right? And uh, and uh, but soberness is the opposite. Uh, she has to have control of her thinking, control of you know her actions, control of you know her, her thought life and, and and emotions and and uh, but she should be a sober person. Uh, fourthly, she should have a consistency about her. Uh, it says they're faithful. In all things. She's dependable. She'll do right. She does right. She's faithful in church. If, and again, this is one of those things that, you know, I, I watched, you know, there was a lot of churches, um, you know, my, my dad's dad. I remember one time I was in, I went to a church service with my dad's dad, uh, my grandpa Burke, and, and um, my grandpa Burke was a deacon at that church, and and uh, I went to church, and, and I, I think they had like 16 people there, which is nothing wrong with that, praise the Lord. And uh, But they had like eight deacons. And uh, my grandpa was telling me, yeah, yeah, they're a deacon, they're a deacon. And I was just like, wow, you know, it's <laughs> uh, a lot of deacons. Uh, half the church is a deacon. Um, but in churches like that, a lot of times what you find is this, that, and I, I just hate saying it, that the men are there, but their wives are not. And that was the case in that situation, too. Uh, but, um, you know, if, if a wife's not faithful to church, the man should be considered being a deacon. If the wife's not on board doctrinally, I don't think we need to give her a doctrinal test, but if she, if it's known, she don't agree with this or that, she needs to be faithful in all things. 
she needs to have a testimony that she does right. She, you know, um, her life is one that backs up, you know, what is true and what is taught. And, and, uh, but she needs to have a consistency about her. So the wife is looked at, but then also his, uh, the family man in his walk. In verse number 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling uh, their children and their own house as well. Um, for the deacon, again, talks still with the family uh, as his partner, all right, husband of one wife. Uh, obviously, no polygamy. Um, and uh, uh, what I believe the Word of God teaches here, too, is that a deacon should not be someone uh, who has been married, divorced, married, divorced. And, and uh, I, they should, again, for testimony's sake, because you're leaving an example and being a, an example of the believers, uh, this should be someone who is married. And, um, you know, to one wife, right? And divorce is not there. Um, this should be something that uh, is evident in his life. We say, why? He's an example. He's to show this, all right? And, uh, and it should, should be faithful. Uh, but as a partner, and then also as a parent, ruling their children, right? And their own house as well. Um, he directs his house, right? Ruling his own house. He directs his house, uh, and he also disciplines his children. Um, he, he, he leads his family in, in what is correct. Um, he, uh, his children, again, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. Uh, they're still kids, right? And you say, well, that man can't be a deacon because his child was running through church, right? Every one of us, our children ran through church, right? We handle it, right? Uh, you know, well, their child lied one time. All of our children have lied one time, right? Uh, don't ever lift a pastor or a deacon's children to be that they can't be children. I'm not making excuses for them, but you can't expect more than God expects. God expected them to be sinners. That's why they need to be saved, right? Uh, they, they are sinful people, just like their parents and just like you and I, right? Uh, but, but at the same time, if a deacon, if a man be considered to be deacon, his children running wild, and he says stop, and they say, and they just keep going, and that's a consistency in their life, right? They shouldn't be a deacon until they get their house in order, yeah. all right? He needs to be able to direct his children and help them. I find it, you know, one of the first deacons mentioned, of course, uh, is uh, uh, Philip in Acts chapter number six, and in Acts twenty-one, you don't have to turn there; you can look it up sometime. But in Acts chapter twenty-one. Uh, verse number eight, um, Paul, uh, uh, Peter, I forget who now, but one of them stopped in Caesarea and they go to Philip's house. And when they go to Philip's house, um, uh, he, he, they go into his house and he has four daughters who are pure and they can discuss the word of God. They had no problem talking about the word of God. And, uh, and I, that's a good testimony. All right, were those four daughters perfect? Guarantee they weren't, because no daughters are. Got mine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, no, but I'm sure they weren't, right? But the fact is this, all right, they, you know, there was a, a spiritualness about them that was noted. And again, uh, I don't, I just, I just think that's a good testimony. And, uh, but it doesn't say there has to be a spiritualness about them. I'm not saying that. It just says that the children must, you know, you must rule their children. 
or they're watching their children or disciplining their children, right? So it needs to be a family man. Then number four in verse number 13, a far-sighted man. Verse number 13, it says this, For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. A far-sighted man. Those that, again, use the office of a deacon well all right, so there's an accomplishment. They do it well. It leads to an advancement. It says that they have used the office of deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree. That, that, word, good, that word degree there means like steps, like uh, rings of a ladder. All right? The idea being presented here is this, that those who, and you can look up, it means threshing, all right, uh, and, uh, and, the, and rings, all right, uh, or steps. And, uh, and so what it's saying is this, that a deacon, all right, that has proven themselves in the role of a deacon, that accomplishment many times will lead to an advancement, that they may go on and do something else for the Lord. Uh, Brother Bob Hoddle was a deacon at our church for many years. And when we started the church out in Hillsborough, after serving as a deacon for many years, he felt the Lord is leading him to be a pastor of that work. And he did. He was the first pastor at our daughter church there. The deacon, all right, purchased to themselves a good degree. I'm not saying it has to be every time, but I, I think, too, a lot of times we get in mind, well, a deacon, they need to be 92 years old, right? And there's nothing wrong with a 92-year-old deacon. But there's nothing wrong with a 22-year-old deacon that's proven themselves. All right, that is sound in the faith. Now, it's, 22 is pretty young, right? But right, if that person has really shown it, right? Uh, you know, I don't think Timothy was, a, you know, was an old man at all, but he showed himself to be very spiritually mature. And so you know, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't just look for someone who's you know, in the last stages of life, either you know, 102-year-old, right? Well, I'm, that's great, and they can, but don't be afraid someone in their 30s right if they show a spiritualness about them and a desire and God lays it upon the heart there's nothing wrong with that either right uh, matter of fact if they're ruling their children well that means their children are still at home right <laughs> so their children are still at home uh, which you know they're, anyways right y'all with me though on that point right alright so there's an accomplishment that leads to an advancement uh, which then leads, I had to use another A word, but an audaciousness, all right? Uh, and it says there, it says, in great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So these, uh, you'll see this growth. They purchased to themselves this good degree. Uh, I, I, again, thinking back with Acts chapter number six, two of the six, one was Stephen. And we don't know a lot else what these other men did, but Stephen we do. Stephen became the first martyr. He started out as a deacon, and he would become the first martyr. For the church. Then we know Philip. Philip started as a deacon, but he became what we know as the first missionary of the church. He was sent out, went to Samaria, then he went and met the Ethiopian, then he goes to Caesarea, and he, there's a church there started, and he's a church planner. So the, there's two of the six that we know that, you know, started out as a deacon, but then the Lord took them in their faithfulness, and the church had no problem. Yes. 
you know, they had high degrees in, in what, what happened there, right? So praise the Lord. And, and so we look at these also as opportunities and what the Lord had used them in the future, right? Uh, but in any case, the church and its duties discussed. And number two, the church and its duties displayed. Uh, the last of the chapter, it's really quick. In verse number 14, you see Paul's personal desire. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. He wanted to visit Ephesus. Uh, he, he, he wanted to. That was his goal. That was his desire, uh, was to go and to visit Timothy and the church at Ephesus soon. See Paul's personal desire, but then you see Paul's pastoral desire in verse number 15. But the first thing we see under this is a delay was envisioned if I tarry long. He also knew there was, while he wanted to do that, he trusted and would follow the Lord. If the Lord didn't deem it timing right, he was going to do what the Lord told him to. And um, we have to understand that, you know, while we have all kinds of great thoughts and goals and ambitions and what we want to do, but God's in charge. And if God doesn't want us to go a certain direction or stops us, we'll trust the Lord. And, uh, and you stop and think about it, you know, we can sit there and say, you know, oh, poor Timothy. Well, if Paul had got to go straight there, there wouldn't be a second Timothy. We missed out a lot of good doctrine, right? And so, Praise the Lord, there's a second Timothy, right? Uh, but the delay was envisioned, all right? And then a duty entrusted uh, there in verse number 15. It says, if I tarry long, thou mayest uh, know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Um, there is a proper way to behave in the house of God. Right? And you say, well, of course. Well, I know, but I just want you to understand the time in which you live in America, when all these churches, which becomes a prevalent theme, right? Hey, you just come on. You don't need to be any different. We'll make you feel comfortable. We'll all take off all of our suits and ties, and we'll put on a pair of ripped jeans, and, and we'll just, hey, whatever music you're listening to out there, we'll play the same thing here. You know, hey, you don't want to hear about these things. You don't want to hear about holiness. We're not going to stuff it down your face. You want to you, you go in a foyer and drink? We'll put a bar out there. I'm serious. These things are going on, all right? I'm serious. In Baptist churches, these things are going on. That's not what Paul said. There's a proper way to behave. Which means there is a proper way to worship. Which if there is a proper way to behave, that means there's an improper way to behave. So there's a right way to worship and there's a wrong way. Who are you to judge? I'm not, but God is. And you say, well, how do I know what's right? God told us. It's in this book, right? And so there's a proper way to worship. There's an improper way to pray. There's a proper way to pray. You say, what? You can pray. I understand. But I'm not going to pray to some idol. I'm not going to pray uh, in a blasphemous way. When we pray, we're talking to God. I've heard people, I've heard people, you know, it's, it, it's a sad commentary on churches at Facebook on Sunday nights. You just scroll through and look what everybody does, right? Uh, you know, all these weird, well, way out there things, right? Uh, but, you know, they, I've heard, you know, and seen with my eyes, uh, you know, a prayer that starts like this to the big man, 
It's disrespectful. It's blasphemy. There's a proper way to pray. The proper way to worship. There's a proper way uh, to sing. There's a proper way to give. There's a proper way. There is. Right? Don't worry. I'm not going to go on and on and on. But there is a proper way to behave. Right? People don't like hearing that, but that's what the Bible says. And I'll stick with what the God's Word says. Amen? Uh, but there's a delay in vision, a duty entrusted, and then you see a description enshrined in a fancy words. Verse number 15 uh, it says there, Thou knowest thou to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Describes here, the Lord's church is here. I would just point out, first of all, the owner. God. Behave thyself in the house of God. This is not Travis Burke's church. This is not any man's church. God's churches all across this country and praise the Lord for every one of them, right? But they don't belong to a person, right? They're God's church, which means he gets to call the shots. So we have to do what God says to do, right? But you see the owner, but then you see the obligation, the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of truth. The owner's God, and the church is to be a pillar in the ground of truth. Pillar, that's not hard to imagine. Uh, pillar, you know, you, you see him in front of buildings. You see, you know, a big, you know, stone usually, right? Pillar, you usually see it in all of our governmental buildings, courts, uh, still use that Gothic style. But pillars out in the front, right, standing and holding Right? Uh, and, a, and a church should be that for the truth. It should support the truth. Right? A church, we have one obligation right, as a church, and that's to continually hold up the truth. That's what we're here for. To hold up the truth. Right? We are to be the pillar of truth. But we're also to be the pillar and the ground of truth. The ground, that word, that ground, um, the instant, our minds probably, like mine, instantly go to like ground. Right, but that's not what that word means. Right, uh, that word, um, you know, it means just as a pillar of support. Right, the, the ground was for staying the truth. Um, if you see in old buildings that you know, you'll see a lot of churches, especially with this. Right, but you you have I don't know if any of you know, you know, you have to. I don't think we have many Gothic architecture stu studiers in here. Nor was I, right? But I, had, I was looking this up, right? Uh, but it is a, a flying buttress. You may know what a flying buttress is, right? It basically is this, right? Um, I, I have to illustrate it, right? Uh, Brother Davis, you come stand right here, right? Brother Davis is a wall. He's a wall. Try to get through that wall, right? All right, but he's a wall, right? And here he is as a wall, all right? Colby, come here real quick. Right, and a, a flying buttress, right? if this is the wall, right, they would build, they would have another wall over here. But they didn't have all the technology we had. And that wall would be a stone wall over here with an archway that would lean up against that. Right? In order to give this stone wall support. 
right? So there would be, you know, if the building began to shift, began to lean this way, it would hold it up, right? That's what the ground is, right? So a church is to be the pillar of truth where it supports the truth, but it's also to be the ground of truth so when the winds of doctrine come, it holds it. When people try to push from the outside, you know, and try to get off doctrine, there's something there to hold the truth, right? And that's what a church is to be, the pillar of truth and the ground of truth, all right? Giving support, all right? Staying and holding it steady. And by the way, the church is not this building. It's us, all right? And a church is to be holding the truth so we can know what truth is and when truth is challenged uh, the church is there because you're going to have people in your friends neighbors people you work with that are going to try to challenge you with doctrine and try to pull you aside all right and you say well what's truth run to your church all right and and, and find truth all right because the church not a man all right not a person not a phd not dr so-and-so but the church is the pillar and ground of truth all right, and so you come to God's house and you see the, the pillar and then also the ground of truth, right? Let me see what that is, right? You can look them up. It's pretty cool to look at, right? But thank you guys, all right? Uh, but a church is to be the pillar and the ground of truth, all right? And so this description is enshrined here, all right? And then lastly, it, the desire is explained in verse number 16. And this is where we'll pick up the next time. But Paul says a church is to be the pillar and ground of what? And then he kind of shows and just what his desire is. Here's the truth that needs to be supported by the church. This is kind of a summary. A summary of what we're to stand for. Without contrary, great is the mystery of godliness. Right? Now the church has this responsibility. God was manifest in the flesh. Talking about the, um, the fact that, you know, he is God. Jesus is God. Right? justified in the spirit the holy spirit proper teaching on the holy spirit and who the lord is who the holy spirit is scene of angels um talking about again the the resurrection and what the angels did and the angels ministry uh preached unto the gentiles what was preached and the gospel and the great commission believed on in the world reaching people and someday the lord's coming back now, there's a whole lot that needs to be discussed between all these things but in a summary, about the fact that we're all sinners, but Christ came for us, and there is a spiritual warfare going on with these angels, but we just need to preach the truth, reach as many as we can for the truth, so someday we're going up to heaven. And the church needs to defend these truths and hold to these truths, right? And so that's our duty. May we be found faithful.